I would say most of my discipleship came from quite a Western background, and that's not that people didn't want me to be Māori or Gujarati or anything like that, but they just didn't know how to foster or nurture that part of me. I didn't realise that over time that I started to assimilate myself with that context. This is Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Kia ora, welcome to another episode of Down to Earth Conversations. I'm Andy Dixon, thanks for joining me for another engaging kōrero. It's a bit of a longer one today, so I'm going to get straight into it, but if you know anyone who would like this episode, please share it with them. Word of mouth is the primary way that people find out about this podcast, and I'm very grateful for all of you who have been part of doing that. Today's guest is Matt Renater. Matt has been a youth worker for a long time, and is now studying Christian theology through an indigenous lens specifically a Māori and Pacifica lens. We talk about his years working with youth, how and why he got into it, and what he learned about himself along the way. We talk about his exploration of his whakapapa, or ancestry, and what a difference that that has made to his life. And we dive into his theological study and hear about what he's studying and why it's bringing him so much life. We also talk about Matt's involvement at Ihu Mātau. For those who don't know, Ihu Mātau is an area of land in Tamaki Makaurau, aka Auckland, and it was set for development despite local Māori having ancestral claim to the land. And so last year, a number of people, including Matt, headed to Ihu Mātau to protest the development and to ask the government to step in. Matt fills us in on some of the background of Ihu Mātau and why it was so important and what his involvement was during those weeks of protest. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll be forced to think about things really deeply. This is episode 45 of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's Matt Renata. Kia Matt, it's great to have you here on the podcast. Kia ora, bro. First of all, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Nor here, queer. Who are you, bro? Where are you from? Yeah, oh, kia ora koutou, um, ko waio, ko Matt Renata toku ingoa. Sorry about my noisy house. Uh, we sound like we have a bit of a party going on, but really, it's just my flatmates and my wife. <laughs> uh, but, yep, in noho ana ki Mount Roskill, so I have literally just moved into this whare two weeks ago now, but born and raised in uh, Tūpoko Teika, so in Wellington, been there my whole life, so born and raised there, and... Um, I left there in 2019 to come up here with my wife, um, Rachel. My dad, he whakapapa's Māori, so uh, we whakapapa to Ngāti Parau, to my marae, which is called Tikapa, and also whakapapa to Ngāti Kahununu, Ki Wairoa, specifically for my marae Rangiahua. And also my nana, she was born and raised on the Wanganui River, so we're Atihaunuia Paparangi, specifically from... A uh, couple of marae, but um, Pungarehu is one of them in, in Parikino and Kaiwaiki. So they're kind of like kazi marais. And um, my dad was born and raised in Waikaremoana. And that was the same my grandfather as well. Yeah, they all left Waikaremoana when my dad had college. So they all moved down to Wellington. And um, my dad started school at Hatopaura College, Ma- Māori boarding school. Uh, and their, their matua there 
their kayako was a guy named uh, Papa Morvin Simon, and so he's quite well known because he he wrote many amazing songs like Ite Ariki, um, yep. Te Aroha, you know, and so he's actually our Fanonga as well. And so um, Dad finished school at Hatapora, and then my met my mum, and so Kite Taho Toku Mama no India Okutsupuna. So I fuck a papa back to the west side of India, a place called Gujarat. And my mum was the first generation that was born here in Aotearoa from Gujarat and just happened to meet my dad at New Zealand Post. And then, um, yeah, they accidentally got pregnant, just a couple of lovebirds, and they were kind of wondering, should we keep the baby or not? And they went to shore. And then they decided then to keep the baby, and then I was born. Pretty, pretty glad they kept the baby then. Yes, thank you. Thank yeah. you for keeping the <laughs> yeah. And then a year after I was born, they decided to get married. And then I've got three other siblings. Cool. And so we're all kind of, you know, Māori Kujarati, all growing up in Loha. And then, yeah, my wife, she, um, I met her um, in Wellington, just through the youth development scene, um, youth work, community development. That's kind of like our what we do, what we did down there. And so she is Ngāpuhi. Um, from the Hokianga. She is also has Whakapapa to England and also to Okayama Prefecture. So her um, father's actually Japanese. So yeah, got a, got a few mixes in there. And yeah, God kind of told us to drop everything we're doing. We're in the thick of um, working in youth development, community development, and asked us to come up here and engage in this indigenous theology study. Uh, more specifically, just looking at theology or looking at the things of God, looking at the gospel, you know, looking at, at Jesus, but from a Maori and Pacific lens. And we're kind of the guinea pigs to this particular study that we're doing because it's a bachelor and we're weaving in papers from Kerry College, uh, Laidlaw College and also Otago University. And they weave them together to create this degree that we're doing. So uh, it's really blowing our minds. Been up here for the last three years, started our fourth year up here and in our last year of our, our studies, so, yeah. Exciting. Uh, do you have much to do with your mum's side over in India? A little bit. So, yeah, it's been an interesting journey, bro, because, you know, when my mum and dad got together and I was born, we weren't really born into a realm that our taha Māori and our taha Gujarat was encouraged. Yeah. So it's, that's really been a thing that's happened since I came to faith in 2005. And... um it was a very kind of radical um, way of coming to faith. Uh, just, you know, I was involved in a whole lot of things that I shouldn't be doing and, you know, selling drugs and just in that whole world, in that whole realm and, you know, hanging out with some of the local gangs and just, you know, that whole life. And then it was in the middle of all of that stuff where um, I just cried out to anything that might have been there and um, what, looking back now, I've realized was I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and it was a supernatural one so I could see. And I didn't realize that I had the ability to see um, because I'd seen stuff when I was a little kid. But I was always negative and bad stuff. But this was the first time I had, I could see the Holy Spirit, I could see the white or tapu and it was, you know, filled with aroha. And then I was like, holy moly, fell in love with Jesus. And I was like, the more I felt I fell in love with Jesus, the more Maori I started to become. And the more I fell in love with Jesus, the more Gujarati I started to become. So it's really just 
been through my faith in God where I've had to explore these um, these parts of who I am and my God-given identity. And I remember sitting down with my koro, um, the one that was born and raised in Waikarewana, and I says, oh, koro, you know, um, what's your whakapapa? And he goes, well, what do you want to know about that for? And I says, I don't want to sound like a weirdo, but uh, God's told me. And he's like, oh, oh, far. In that case, yeah, I'll tell you, you know, a little about your <laughs> whakapapa and and so I was in my twenties by this stage, bro. And um, as my koro was starting to share the fuckapap, I didn't even know Waikare Moana was a thing. I didn't even know that we were whangai from Ngāti Poro into Waikare Moana. Like they never shared these stories. And then my grandfather goes, "Your know, last name Renata is actually Spanish." What the heck? <laughs> you know, like, what do you mean? And then he goes, "Uh." Oh, there's a Spanish explorer that came to Nazi Peru, and his name was Jose Manuel. And uh, he lived with Maori, you know, and he had five Maori wives. And I'm like, sheesh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, he said, you know, he's married a Maori wife. So, the, you know, he's got Spanish Maori children living in Nazi Peru in the late 1800s. And um, one of them, they gave the name Renata. And I was like, what? I've always thought there was Māori. He goes, nah. And then the, the male version of that name is Renato. And I was like, uh, right. holy. And then he goes, so anyway, enough about that. I'm going to stop there and now you got to go and figure out your Indian side. And I'm like, Pakuro, man, this is like, yeah. <laughs> we're just getting into the juicy parts, man. Like, you know, is... yeah. yeah. So I, <clears throat> I listened to my Kuro's um, promptings and went and sat down with my mum. I said, Mum, where were we actually from? You know, like, where were you born? Yeah. She goes, oh, I was born in Lower Hutt Hospital. And I was like, oh, dumb. Like, I was expecting some, <laughs> I was yeah. expecting some main story, you know. Yeah. I came over here on a ship and, like, you know, life life of pie. Like, you know, and yeah. there was, like, there was a storm and then there was a tiger. And... Yeah. <laughs> no, no, born in Lower Hutt. Oh, oh. okay. <laughs> yeah. But she did tell me some interesting stories about my grandparents and my great-grandparents, how they first came over here um, from West India, and it was like the land of milk and honey. And, um, you know, when they came here, they just had to leave all of their whakapapa and all of their culture and all of their tikanga, their Gujarat tikanga back home, and had to assimilate into what was a New Zealand Western way of life. So they stopped speaking the language, they stopped speaking the um, the whakapapa, and they stopped telling us as all of the the cousins. And, um, so we were raised in it, and then all of a sudden I'm sitting with my mum, and she's, she's telling me these stories. I'm literally, the same thing that happened with my koro. I could feel these waves of identity and belonging being spoken back over me. And so now I'm one of the most, like my mum's got, um, you know, there's seven siblings, so there's eight of them all up, and then my dad's got you know seven siblings, and there's eight of them all up, and on both sides of the whanau, especially with my Gujarati side, I'm one of the only ones that are really going hardcore, going we need to keep our whakapapa back to Gujarat. So, yeah, yeah, and we've been like doing a whole lot of research, and you know, like how do I weave that into my pepeha, and you know, how do, how do I weave that into what God's doing in Aotearoa at the moment? It's, been very interesting and then you know with also with my wife as well if i could pop it back to japan how does that weave in with everything so yeah so that's pretty much the extent of it that's awesome in your early young adult life you 
got into the youth work, as you say. What what was it that kind of led you in that direction? So when I was at school, I had a youth worker. And if it wasn't for him and his care for me, I don't know if I would have made it to the end of school. You know, just someone to process with. And um, yeah, it was real gutted when, you know, he left in the end. But I was in my last year of school, my seventh form year, year 13. So it was a miracle that I'd even got there. So a lot of his help and effort had gone to getting me there. And then he didn't actually tell me where he went. And then I went to, you know, watch the Hurricanes play the Crusaders. And I saw that he was playing for the Crusaders, man. I was like, <laughs> what the? And I was telling my dad, hey, that's my youth worker. And there's a, there a guy named Ross Filippo. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, he was just, to me, he was like a bro. He was an older, older brother that didn't talk to me much about school. He spoke to me more about what was happening in my life and where am I heading and what, what, what do I want to do with my life. So, you know, I left school. I became a builder. I was a residential builder. I um, was kind of in that realm of things, and I started playing rugby for Petoni Rugby down there in, um, in Lower Hutt, and it just happened that Ross Filippo had come back to play for the Petoni Prems, and I walked into the club rooms for the first time, and I saw him there, and I was like, fuck, last time I saw you, bro, was back at school, and he was like, oh, come meet some of the boys, and so I went over there, and met Tano Umanga and the Mayor Te Alara, and I'm like, fuck, what the hell? <laughs> and then uh, he was going, you know, how did the rest of school go, Matty? You know, how's things with your whanau? And, I, you know, I hadn't talked to him in ages. And the fact that he cared about me that much had this huge impact on my life. So kind of fast forward in time, and in 2008, there was the, the global recession, and um, my builder actually lost his business. He went into liquidation, and... And then, you know, after seeking God on it for quite a while, I ended up landing on, man, I could probably do youth work, eh? And how much money's in it? Oh, I thought a little bit of research. Oh, there's absolutely none. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> but could I still be happy, you know, doing youth work and giving back? Yeah, I probably could. So I started in 2008 and then 2009, I started my journey with Praxis. I don't know if you had a Praxis. Yep. So I was learning under people like Lloyd Martin and um, you know Justin Duck with Justin and Jenny, Lloyd and Anthea, uh, Rob Baxter, just kind of like all these kind of crazy you know gurus and and youth development who had kind of birthed youth development in Aotearoa. And yeah, so that's how I kind of got into it, and I started uh, working at an alternative education school. So I got straight into. Um, kind of Ministry of Education and was a youth worker, uh, teacher aide in there, and then has just developed from there. And so have been doing that ever since, really, up until coming up here to do full-time study. Yeah, awesome. I love that a big part of you getting there is actually encountering a youth worker yourself, you know, and yeah. that that had such an impact. It's like, oh, man, what if I could do that and help kids like that, you know? And, yeah, it's um, buzzy. You did some like youth stuff through church and that as well? Yep. You were saying, you know, as you've been exploring your Indigenous identity, how did you find that within the church space? Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a big one, bro. That's a huge one. I, I remember when I first became Christian, and I didn't even know if I was Christian or not because I didn't do no sinners prayer or anything. You know, I literally did this very raw prayer. 
there's a whole lot of explicit language in it. Just, you know, like me just shouting out in desperation. And I have this encounter with God, with the Holy Spirit. And then I'm trying to go, because no one was around when that happened. So I'm trying to explore what that is and what is going on. And, um, and a whole lot of my friends just happened to be going to a Baptist church. And so I started going to the Baptist church and just happened to be that church. Could have been any church, but I just landed there. And they started to teach me about the word of God and the written word, the living word. And then all of a sudden I, I could start to connect with this spirit that I encountered. So it started making things go crazy, bro. Because in a, in, in a good way and in a negative way, I suppose. Well, not negative, but challenging. Because, um, you know, another thing was I, was, I had the ability to see things. Um, I was a hardcore dreamer. So I would have these encounters during my during my dream time. Um, I started to be able to connect with things that maybe wasn't your regular connecting. Like I could start to connect with the land, or you know, I would look at the trees and or the birds or the weather, and just kind of I know something would stir me up, you know, and so. I would say most of my um, discipleship came from quite a, um, a, a Western uh, background. And that's not that people didn't want me to be Māori or Gujarati or anything like that, but they just didn't know how to foster or nurture that part of me. They only knew what, what to do, how they could do. And so I didn't realise that over time that I started to assimilate myself with that context. So, for example, start to speak that language. You know, there's a there's a particular Christian Christianese language, and then started going to the Easter camps, and I started connecting with this. So I started to be able to speak that language, and then the, I, I think the first time, bro, I realised that it hit me like a ton of bricks was when I got asked to MC the Easter camp, and so it was here. Oh, sorry, it was in Central, so that was for like the Wellington region, all the way up to like Topo and all that. And so there's a couple of thousand people there and I am, I'm emceeing. So I run on the stage and I'm like, yo, what up is the camp? Give me a yeah, you know, and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, give me a kia ora, you know, and then I was just kind of doing this whole thing. And then I finished that first session, bro, and I go back to my, my youth group, my young adults, because I'm a young adult by this point. And they were all just like, bro, what was that? <laughs> Like, who, who was that on stage? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? They're like, you're never like that around us. All of a sudden, homie G, Matt, came out. And I'm like, wait, what? Oh, far out. I was like, but that that's like the normal me, you know? That's, that's me when I'm with my friends or if I'm, you know, playing rugby or something like that. And then I've realized I had completely changed the way that I spoke dressed, sometimes walked, thought to try and fit in with my my church whanau because I, I genuinely loved them to bits, you know. They were the ones that helped me through, you know, like suicidal thoughts and, you know, just whole different way of thinking. It's a different map now and there's a new map emerging. So I was like, holy moly. And then when I did Praxis and they started to talk about Te Tiriti o Waitangi, you know, I, I was before that. I was like, "Oh man, I just think the Maori's got to get over it." Eh? 
and just you know stop moaning about treaties and you know we all we all one now we all one nation and let's get together and everything will be all good you know and then I learned about Tiritu Waitangi from like Mark Barnard you know and, and Danette Abraham you know it was who's Danette Tia now and all these people that are like and I was sitting in Orake Marae Nati Fatua you know where Bastion Point happened. They're telling the stories, and I'm just literally like sitting on my seat, going, "What the f?" You know, because it kind of hit the for the first time. I was like, "God, did this really happen? God, is this why my whanau's messed up? God, is this why so many of my friends, like even I, could have been sent to prison? All these statistics, is this why?" And I I went through the angry phase, you know, where I learned about it for the first time, and I was like heartbroken. Um. And then I started to look at my church family and go, wow, you are so separated from the story. How come you haven't engaged with this? And then <laughs> I remember I went and had a, I, I called a meeting with the senior pastor and like the elders and, you know, I was going to talk to them about, <laughs> oh no. And, you know, this is kind of like me and my angry Matt face. So I hadn't quite hit that point of forgiveness and healing and reconciliation, yeah. And I sat down with them and I said, how come the church, how come I'm one of the only Māori in the church? You know, we're in the middle of Lower Heart City. Why does our church still look like this? Like literally I can, let's go have walk out the front of the church and look at who's standing on the street compared to what's happening for our church whānau. Why are we so disconnected? What's this all about, you know? And so anyway, um, you know, we had the meeting and I feel sorry for them, you know, because they had to deal with <laughs> angry Matt. And then a week later, my, my senior pastor came back to me. He goes, can I have a meeting with you, Matt? And I was like, yeah. He goes, you're 100% right. Wow. I was not expecting that. I was, expect, I was expecting to get told off or something. And then I found out that this our senior pastor that we had well, his, the last place he was pastoring was in Norake Baptist, you know, in Ngāti Whātua or Norake. And he was like, you're 100% right, Matt. He goes, we've got an issue here. We've got a huge issue and we need your help. And he's like, do you want to explore about jumping on the team? I was like, wait, this is like, this is not what I was imagining. <laughs> it is like, so we did like a, I don't know, maybe it was like a couple of months of, trying to discern what that was because he didn't even know what he was saying. He was like, do you come on as this role? Are you, are you the community pastor? Are you a youth pastor? And I'm like, look, I don't know. And he goes, well, we've got to seek God. And then God gave us the answer. So, yeah, so that year I ended up being employed by the church and um, looking after the young adults ministry. And then uh, slowly uh, our youth pastor left. And so I took on the youth pastor and young adults ministry. And quite soon it was becoming evident that my way of rolling was way different to what the church has ever experienced before. So all of a sudden we've got, you know, young people that are of all different shapes, colours and sizes starting to, that I was connecting them with because previous to doing that for the church, I was doing youth work out in the community. You know, I was down at the youth centre, hanging out with some young ones, taking them down to the beach to do some bombs, you know, and 
Here's some fish and chips on the beach, find out they're homeless or, you know, come from very, very um, just broken home context and stuff like that. And now I'm doing mahi for the church. I've still got all these relationships. So they'll they'll come visit me in the church office next year, you know, it's like all these like young kids sitting on the ground, you know, like just chatting to me and the office is kind of like, Matt, you can't kind of keep having these guys in here like this. And I'm like, that's true. It's true. I don't want to tell them to go away there. And so they ended up giving me my own office and I had this huge hangout space. And it was very evident that things were shifting and changing and I started to take a lot more care of our, our Māori and Pacifica. I was taking an extra effort because I could see that um, they kind of always get left behind or something, you know. Like, um, just even things like, you know, like just whanaungatanga, like having a connection with someone, you know. And I took over a ministry of like about 30 young people and then within like two years, it, you know, we're taking like 120, 130 to Easter camp. So it just turned into this big, huge thing just because people were feeling connected in, they were feeling loved, you know. Um, but in the end, the services couldn't really do it for them. So their, really their form of church was us doing bombs down at the beach, having fish and chips, you know, or having a jam sesh after worship practice on a Tuesday. Whatever. So it was very, very um, conflicting. And then, yeah, and I think probably one of the biggest things that happened and I say this with a lot of aroha and respect now. I had an encounter when my, my nana, she passed away. So she was from the one, she was the one from Wanganui. This is going to sound really weird, but I started to have encounters with her after she had passed away. So she will turn up in my dreams and it looked like her, felt like her. It, she looked not like a, the older woman that I remembered her to be. She looked like this young, stunning version of my grandmother. And... We wouldn't be having conversations like this, but it's almost like she could read my thoughts and I could read hers. And was, in a weird way, passing on messages to me of there's some unfinished business in our family and we need to finish it. You know, we need to bring more of God into our fam- the life of our family. So I'm like kind of having all these things happen and telling my dad, he's like, how do you know about these things? I says, dad, I don't want to sound like a weird fella, but I've been encountering your mum, Nana, after this, after the passing, and he was like, what? How's that possible? And, you know, so I go and tell my senior pastor, because, you know, he's I'm now the youth young adults pastor. He's the senior pastor. He's my line manager or whatever. And um, they were really just like, Matt, you got to be careful of that stuff. You know, you shouldn't be, like, um, worshipping ancestors or uh, you shouldn't be talking to them and, Brings out Bible scriptures about, you know, um, Saul. You know, he goes to see a medium, summons the spirit of Samuel, and Samuel rocks up like it's the spirit of Samuel. And Samuel just tells off Saul, you dongy, you know, you know you're not meant to do this. And and so I'm like, oh, no, I have sinned against the Lord. I did not mean to do this. And they were like, it's all good. We can pray for you, you know, we can deliver you. So I'm like, yes, deliver me. So, you know, they're delivering me of these things that are, they don't really know what they're praying, but, you know, of my Māoriness and of ancestor worship and, you know, intergenerational curses. They connect. And I'm just like, yes, cleanse me, cleanse me, you know. I'm just taking it all in. And then one of the things that happened was um, I get to Bible college. 
And then now all of my lecturers are starting to talk about, does anyone, does anyone have connections with their tūpuna? And I, I'm like sitting there going, oh no, I don't want to expose my sinner self, you know. And then I'm like, you know, does anyone, anyone? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I have, but I've got prayer for it, so you don't need to worry. I'm cleansed, you know, I'm delivered. And, and they said, check this story out. Peter, James and John, they're going for a hikoi one day, they're going for a walk. And they go up the Maunga, and they go up the mountain. And those three are the tiredest of Jesus' 12 disciples. They go for a hikoi one day, and boom, they see Ihukuraiti, Jesus standing on top of that Maunga, and he's talking to two of their tupuna who had passed away hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. It's called the Mountain of Transfiguration. And then they exegete the text, bro. So they're getting into the original kupu that the scripture's written in, and they're exegeting it. And Peter, James, and John, they're kind of freaking out, you know, like, have we, have we died and gone to heaven? Or are we still here on earth seeing almost like an open heaven? You know, or is there a portal between heaven and earth that's opened up? You know, and not only that, there's no Facebook or Instagram or anything back then. So they've got no photos, no reference points of what their tupuna looked like. But they knew instantly straight away that that was truly Elijah and Moses who were standing on that moment of Ihu Kuraiti. And they are, they are strategizing about what's about to happen in the crucifixion and how the, and how the disciples and everyone's meant to handle themselves and what's the strategy moving forward. So they're having wānanga on the top of the maunga. And so they're like, you Māori have always had these beautiful connections with your tūpuna. And there is a bit of a line there, you know, of, well, we shouldn't be praying to them. You know, we shouldn't be have, wanting this open access and praying to our tūpuna. But there's a moment where Jesus will be standing on that maunga and he will allow a moment for you to connect with your ancestors in, in such a way. So I walk away from that moment, bro, just like mind blown. Man, I like hid that part of me for years and years. I actually shut it down, bro. I shut that whole thing down. And it isn't until I'm doing this whole indigenous theology thing where I'm going, man, I've got so many young people that I need to correct. Because I was teaching them all of this and I say maybe a colonized theology, or maybe not colonized, but it's just like a maybe just a Western theology. You know, it's like a totally different from the way that us, you know, East Islanders from the East South Pacific, you know, roll. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, let's talk about the indigenous theology thing, and and as an as a disclaimer before we we get into that, um, for the listeners out there, like when I say indigenous theology, I'm not saying indigenous theology as opposed to ordinary theology um or you know because because you can get this idea that there's theology and then there's like indigenous theology and then there's womanist theology or you know there's all these sort of subsets but then there's just normal theology and um i just want to name that for what it is and that actually a lot of what we've been handed in our traditions is really white western male theology you know that yeah. um and that's not saying it's bad it's just naming it for what it is yeah that's good so yeah so so tell us about how's the study going and and kind of what are your key areas of focus for that yeah so um how's it going it is challenging because i've never written so many essays and stuff in my life in terms of the learning itself is pretty awesome i think we're at an interesting time 
in the life of Aotearoa where there's a whole lot of theologians and lecturers and teachers um, that are very open to what God is doing with Māori and what God is doing with uh, Indigenous peoples around the world and wanting to see theology from another lens. Because you are saying before, you know, the, you've, got, you've got the Western lens, then you've got the Eastern Orthodox lens, and then you have a Māori lens, and then you've got a, a you know, Samoan lens, which might be different from the Tongan one, which might be different from the Solomon Island. So you've got all these different lenses. So it has been so enriching. It's been so cool to even have the opportunity to explore these things. Like my last assignment was on the colonization of time. And like uh, is the maramataka, which is the original way of reading time for Māori, so it's the Māori calendar, is the maramataka relevant for the Church of Aotearoa in the 21st century? And exploring some of those things, like what about matariki? You know, like it's this is the first year it's going to be a public holiday. What does the church think about that? Is it demonic? You know, is it, or, 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 or what is it? You know, actually, what is it? So we get to go down those um, lines and explore. Even just looking into the fuck of papa lines that 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 feed the Pacific too, because there, there's a whole lot of knowledge and thought and spiritual beliefs that have been brought with them from these different areas into the Pacific and actually end up making up Maori. So I've been doing a bit of work for um, uh, World Vision and the Canadians from World Vision had heard about our work that we've been doing with Te to Waitangi, with Mana Whenua, you know, Tangata Tiriti, Tangata Whenua, and they're asking for help. And I said to them, man, I can't help you guys. You know, I don't even know the stories of your land. I says, what does Canada even mean? And then, long story short, found out that Canada is actually pronounced Kanata. Kanata. And Kanata is their word for people or tribe. So then, so that's Kanata. And then you go over, do a hop, skip and a jump over to Hawaii. That's Kanaka. You go over to the New Caledonia, they say Kanak. You come over here to the Cook Islands, they say Tangata. Come over here to Aotearoa, we say Tangata. That's the name for people. Or Kanata is their name for people. And so on that on that west coast of the Americas, you had all these waka going from there also into the Pacific. And it was like these highways, bro. You know, like like Uber Waka. Like <laughs> All over the place, just sharing knowledge and information and kai and stories. And there was a whole theology behind their world. And then have come to understand that they also knew the creator. They understood who the creator was. And not only that, the creator had a relationship with them and was revealing things to these peoples of the Pacific, of Hawaii. Maybe it's safer to say Hawaii. I don't know. Um you know, there's this huge lot of people that were so interconnected. Like, I even found out my waka from Takitimu. So, you know how I was telling you I was Ngāti Kahununu, Ki Wairoa. So, our waka there is Takitimu. And Takitimu is also the waka for Kaitahu. But my waka Takitimu was actually built in Samoa. You know, out of Samoan resources and timber. And, and that waka was filled with Samoans and Hawaiians and Tahitians. And they end up coming to Aotearoa and become Māori. 
o ngāti kahununu, o kaitahu. And for me, that blows my mind because I'm going, we are so woven and connected into the story that God's up to. So what was God telling them back then? And what's he telling us now? Because surely all of those things can't be lost, you know. Um, you know, we can't let it go extinct like the huya. You know, surely it's just there behind the veil when we can grab hold of these things. It's kind of like God giving us like a, a trail to follow. You know, remember you guys are from here. Remember I was already talking to your ancestors, but it wasn't until the gospel was introduced, once they had the introduction of Jesus, that they were like, oh, we know the father. And now this is the son. Okay, we've got the we've got the full picture now. You know, we've we've got the Tokoturi Topu, we've got the we've got the three in one, we've got the Trinity now. And so that's why things exploded in our land with Maori. Because they're like, oh, we know the creator. But now the key part is the son, you know, who died um on the cross. And so you might have heard of that um that Tohunga from Natukahununu, um Toiroa. You know who prophesied the coming of yeah. the gospel before it came. So yeah, Natikonen is one of I want to say yeah he's my fanonga, he's my tupuna. But you know he starts to say these things about you know it's probably the old the oldest the oldest name of Jesus written name of Jesus you'll probably know just before Captain Cook came was Tama Irorokutia, the the son who was killed or the son who was sacrificed. And and it's a good he's a good God. And so you've got all these like that didn't just happen to Toyor, but you know, same way it happened for me, having dreams and visions and you know, like the 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 foretelling of these things to come. So as soon as it rocks up, Māori are kinda of like we recognise this. Not only can we just read that Bible and know that that's the right thing, because that's probably, you know, how, a lot of how Pākehā would interpret it, but they were like, we can see it. We can see the white or tapu, like I saw the white or tapu. You know, we can see these angelic things you're talking about. We can see these demonic things you're talking about. You know, now, you know, through through the gospel, through Te Romopai, we actually have the power and ability to be able to remove these things or pray in more of these things. And so, yeah, I think all of that's really good for those of us who are Pakeha to hear, because with a white Western framework you can feel like God came on the boats with the English. You know, that the English brought God here. But actually, you know, I've, I've got a poem that I wrote a couple of years ago exploring Ototahi around Christchurch and the story of God through this land. And um, and one of the themes of it is actually Wairuatapu has always been here. You know, and you've got these stories, you've got these prophecies, you've got this way of being that connects to the divine that was well before there was any Bible over here or any you know, missionaries or, um, but like you say, those things married together really well. So um, yeah, I, I think that's really powerful. One last thing I wanted to to just, um, I don't know if you can briefly touch on it, but w- one thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, one place where, you know, your taha Māori, Christianity, everything kind of collided more publicly was at Ihumato. Um, mm. And for those who, we got some overseas who wouldn't even know what, what that is, but do you want to just give us like a, as brief a background as you can on what what was going on there in terms of why were people there, um, and then also how did you get involved and what was what was your part in that? 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I got accepted for a young leadership development conference over in Japan. And one of the people in that delegation of 12 was Pane and Newton. So that happened back in 2016. And she only just left Rotorua to move back to Ihumatao. You know, this was eight weeks over in Japan doing this youth development, this young leadership development conference. And, you know, when you spend eight, eight weeks with someone, you start to have deep kōrero. And so Pani would ask me all these questions, you know, why do you believe in the colonized God for? And I'm like, how dare you? And she's like, but think about it, bro. Like, you believe in the colonized God. And I was like, oh my gosh, they would like be butting heads and all this stuff. And we actually became best mates because of, you know, the, the raru that we have. And then um, I remember she told me the story about Ihumato for the first time. And I remember God specifically slapping me hard, going, I need you to just shut your mouth and listen to her. And then she told me about the story about how the Tainui Waka came over from Tahiti, or more specifically from Moria, um, the story of Hape. And how he came over here on the back of a sea creature named Kaifari. Or some stories say it was a big manta ray. You know, and um, I don't know if you know those stories. But the first place they land in all of Tamaki was Ihumato. And I was like, whoa. She was like, yeah, we've been here for like, you know, nearly a thousand years. And then only 160 years ago, because of this, this crown government, and a misunderstanding into Tiriti of Waitangi, they confiscated it from us. You know, and so all of our tupuna that tried to go back, where did they have to go? They had nowhere to go. And so the ones that did return, well, they arrested them and arrested them to put them where? Oh, flip, we have to build prisons. You know, and so they go and lock them up and you get this intergenerational trauma of prison and, you know, justice and all this stuff and, you know, they build the airport there and they weren't supposed to build it there because a whole lot of our tūpuna were buried, but they built it anyway and put all the bones of our tūpuna in a in a container and left it in front of the marae and said, you guys deal with it. It's like, wow. what, 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 what? One of their maunga there, um, Pukitutu, this huge maunga that came out of the water. Well, they excavated the whole maunga, so now it's a hole in the ground. And I'm like, wait, so you use that maunga in your pepeha? She goes, well, we don't you do it anymore because it's a big hole in the ground. They used it to build the roads of Auckland. And I'm listening to her just getting so convicted and having that same feeling I had when I was at Ngāti Whātua, when I was at Orake Marae, of just the pain and going, wow, how has this happened to our people and how has no one heard about Ihumato? So by the time that, um, you know, they, they were strategic over all of those years to build up, you know, a, a base of people that knew the story, that knew the truth about the land. So as soon as they got evicted, they already had the strategy in place and they decided the strategy they were going to take was the strategy they did at Parihaka, which is from Te Whiti and Tohu, you know, who based their whole um, peaceful resistance on gospel principles. That's what they, that's what they tr- chose at Ihumato. So I remember we went down there the first night and it's just, just crazy, bro. It's like thousands of people just walking around there Night time, there was no lights or anything, and we were just down there. And then we just had our first karakia, our first whakamuimiti down there. We just did it. Um, and everyone else jumped in and sang their waiata and did their karakia. 
And then the next night happened and the next night and I was like, far out, this is crazy, whatever's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. And then I was sitting at a dinner. I was in this flash restaurant and the Wilberforce Foundation had were holding a dinner there. And I remember we got the news that Jacinda had, um, you know, put a stop on the developments. And so we were all celebrating like, yeah, let's go down there. So we went down to Ihumato and it was about 11 o'clock at night. And it was kind of like a bit of a relief that, you know, it's, the efforts had worked. And then I saw my friend Panya and she just looked tired. She looked exhausted. And she just came straight up to me. And she had like a whole lot of uh, people with her. Like, there's like young girls that would want to take selfies with her. You know, she's the next Dame Fina Cooper and got the media wanting to get, you know, something from her and got the whanau pulling her in the other direction. And she just comes straight up to me and she was like, bro, can you pray for me? And I was like, just right now, here in front of everyone. Because, you know, because she, because of the conflict we've had in the past, she wasn't very open about that stuff before. And now she's asking for it. And I was like, you know, Kete mohio koe, i mohio koe i karakiau i irungete ingoa i hukuraiti. So, you know, I already know you already know. I can only the only way I know how to pray is in the name of Jesus. She goes, "That's what I need. Can you pray for me?" So, bang, give me the open door. There's me. I just grabbed her hand, put my hand on her shoulder, and I just started praying over her. And I was praying, God, fill her up with life. I was praying. I don't know what I was praying, bro. I just thought it was like, blah, blah, blah. you know, protection, you know, for her, for the whanau, for the whenua, for the marae, for tangata whenua. I just started prophesying, God, I'm, 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 pr- I'm praying this into the land. I'm praying this. I'm, can you push this? Can you make this happen? It was just like things that I was like, I'm just praying in faith here, God, can you please help them with these things? And can you do this? Can you move mountains? And when I was praying for her, she was just taking these deep, big breaths. And then as soon as I finished praying for her, she just opened her eyes. And she had like um, this glazy look over her eyes. And she was like, thank you so much. I needed that, bro. And then she goes, this Sunday? Yep, this Sunday. She just decided on the spot. This Sunday, we're going to commit the whole day to church. We're going to have whakamoimiti going to invite all the different denominations down and they can pray on the land and I was like good stuff Pane are you mean and she was like she's like yeah bro and you're going to lead it and I was like there ain't no way I'm leading that Pane <laughs> she was like please bro she's like you represent neutral ground you don't come in here waving your Christian banner Yeah, you just do it you get it done and I'm like I was like Pane I've got an assignment due on Sunday <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get my assignment done, man. And she's like, "Bro, please." And I says, "Look, if you're being serious about this, I already know you have your own komato, you have your own kuya, you've got your own ministers here." I says, "You go down the hui down at, at the marae because they were having like hui every night, about three hundred of them. And if they want it to happen, then it can happen. If not, then we won't do it." So she blooming goes down there. They all agree on it. She comes back to me. Can you please lead the services? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Yeah. So I just felt the weight of the world on my shoulders, bro. And it was like, I don't even know how to speak to the old Māori properly. 
you know, and so anyway, bro, put the word out there to, you know, the guys from Te Rautini and Jay and Salvation Army, Mihinare, Anglicans, just anywhere and everywhere, bro, just blasted it out. Keith, Keith Newman chucked it on the Bible and Treaty page and we had our first ever fucking Wimiti down there, bro, and it started at 7 in the morning and went till 7 in the evening. And it was just 12 hours of karakia, like, just people coming down there. It was crazy, bro. And I remember in the thick of all of that, I was like, I've been a Christian for the last 15 years. I just, why did my church never set me up for this moment? You know, why didn't they teach me how to minister to my own people? And there were so many things I was doing down there, bro, because I was just doing cut and paste from what I know from church. And I felt like I was colonizing my own people, bro. I felt like a Pākehā with Māori skin on, you know. I felt like a Pākehā with a Māori kōrawai down there, just, you know, it was like, once you're finished, you know, he honore, you know, and you're finished um, whakataki te hau, and what else is in the kete? Oh, flippin', it's just shout to the Lord. It's got darling chicken now, oh, no, what else are we going to do? And then so we had to have a quick kind of rethink, but... um. And here, bro, we just committed to going praying down there every Sunday and every night during the week as well. So it was absolutely nuts. And they won't declare it very loud, but they will tell you if you ask them to their face that we had a huge impact on them down there. Uh, we had people that really hated Christians. And, and by the end of, like, I don't know, maybe the second, third week, we had these guys coming and they were praying with us and, you know, they were singing our songs with us and it was just really, really amazing, bro. So, um, yeah, and now the current result is that the Crown's brought the land back and now they're giving it back to Mana Whenua. They're just yeah, putting awesome. together a team full of people to... And we weren't praying, you know, God, give the land back. You know, we were going, God, let your will be done. Yeah. And so he was just working in the hearts of all the people and different circumstances and situations happened down there that I don't really want to get into. But it was like, God, shit moved mountains. And then all of a sudden, now the land's come back as a result of all the stuff that's happened down the track. So it was interesting, bro. You had, you know, I saw I saw the Church of Aotearoa gather down there. And no one was, you know, waving their own banner. You know, you had you had the uh, Ringatū Church down there. You had the Ratana Church, Paimari there. You had the uh, Samoan Tongans, you had Anglicans, you had Catholics, like a whole lot of people, bro. And it was just like we came together in power for a common purpose. And that was for God to for God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Here in Ihumato as it is in heaven. And we got given some gems from that moment, bro, that we think actually God's going to start to deposit in the church of Aotearoa at the moment that we're not currently seeing. And yeah, I think the church of has got a long way to go, but I think we'll get there. Mm. Yeah. Oh man, I could talk to you about this for ages, but we better wrap it up. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just love your your heart for your people. I love your heart for finding God in whatever situation that you're in, and um, and whether it's youth working, you know, whether it's the the kids that don't have hope, you know, whether it's you know having those battles with Pania. Uh, as she challenged you about about your um you know your colonized god or whatever and i love how all those stories have shaped you and 
and the the heart that you then come from that with. Uh, so yeah, thank you for for who you are, and thank you for what you're doing to help to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Oh, good brother. Tene te mihiki Andy. Yeah, thanks for even um, thinking about getting these stories out there because um, yeah, sometimes I feel yeah, it's interesting holding all these stories kind of in here. So you know, to be able to share some of the treasures around is a blessing. So yeah, thanks for putting time and effort into doing this, bro. Kia ora. Oh, my pleasure. Such a beautiful and honest conversation. It's so beautiful to hear the excitement and life and energy that flows out of Matt as he talks of his journey of discovering his identity, both ethnically and spiritually, which of course is one and the same journey and not held as separately as those of us in Western culture would generally hold them. I love how much can be learned by allowing ourselves to see things from different perspectives. It can be challenging if it's new, and it might even sound weird and feel wrong to us. But I think one of the most important things that I've learned is just because I'm uncomfortable and it feels awkward or strange doesn't make it wrong. In fact, that's often the space in which we can learn the most, if we lean into our discomfort. So thank you, Matt, for taking us there today. Matt, you're an amazing tane with so much aroha and rangimariye. Here is a blessing for you. Matt. May you and Rachel grow more and more in yourselves and your marriage as you continue to follow what you faithfully hear Wairua Tapu saying to you. May you continue to have Ross Filippos in your life who are interested in you and who care about you enough to check in on you, who cut through the crap to ask about what really matters. And may you continue to be that kind of person for others, making a difference in the lives of those around you just by being yourself like you have done with youth, with your church whānau, and with those at Ihu Mātau. May you continue to find yourself in spaces where you being authentically Māori and authentically Christian helps to build bridges and brings peace and reconciliation between those within the church and those who have good reason to be wary of the church. The more you engage with Jesus, may you find more of who you are as Māori and Gujarati, And the more you discover yourself as Māori and Gujarati, may you find more of your identity in Christ Jesus. And may this journey never stop. And lastly, may you know you are seen, you are heard, and you are loved. Thanks to Strawn for the music and Rangi for the karakia. Connect with me on Facebook and Instagram. You'll find me at at downtoearth.conversations on both of those. And I'd love it if you could rate the podcast on Spotify or iTunes and help others find the podcast. Join me next time when I talk to mental health advocate and pioneer Jen Mora of Voices of Hope. Jen gets vulnerable with us about her teenage years, which included anxiety and severe OCD and eating disorders. And she shares some of what her journey to a more healthy space has been like. We also talk about what she does now to be a positive voice in the lives of others who struggle. It's another amazing quarter. Until then, me inoi tato. E to mata matua i te rangi, kia tapu to ingoa, 
Kia tau mai tō rangatiratanga Kia me atu tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua Kia rite anō ki tō te rangi Humai kia mātou ai nei He taroma mātou mō tēnei rā Mūrō mātou hara Me mātou hoki e muru nei I o te hunga E hara ana kia mātou Aua hoki mātou e kawea Kia whakawaia E ngari whakorangia mātou I 